Good morning. This is Inside the FLX from FingerLakes1.com. I'm Ted Baker, and we're joined by our once-a-month guest from the Montezuma Audubon Center, Route 89 in Savannah, Chris Lejewski. Welcome back. Good morning, Ted. Great to be Winter with you. Winter is here in the Finger Lakes. Finally, those snowshoes that have been on the shelf since who knows when, you can take them down. And maybe one of the things not a lot of people know is that you have a lot of trails and great habitat right at the Visitor Center. That's right. Up at Montezuma Audubon Center, we rent snowshoes out for our uh, children that come visit, adults and families alike. And there's great opportunities to explore this winter wonderland right now at Montezuma Audubon Center. Uh, folks can rent snowshoes for just $3 a child, $5 an adult, $15 for the whole family. This is great family fun, affordable, uh, great way to explore winter, get some exercise right now, and explore the wintering birds that we have at the Audubon Center, as well as the mammals that are still awake uh, and still active during these brutally cold days. So um, we're seeing roughly a half a dozen uh, mammal species tracks along our two miles of trails and 200 acres and roughly two dozen species of birds. Everything from the, the breeding uh, bald eagles that we have and red-tailed hawks as well as the songbirds. Some are resident like black-capped chickadee, northern cardinal blue jay, uh, but also some of the Canadian songbirds that come down and spend the winter with us in our relatively mild and tranquil conditions that we have, uh, species like the red-breasted nuthatch and as well as the American tree sparrow. So a lot to explore at Montezuma Audubon Center this winter. The snow is not terribly deep, but it's perfect snowshoeing snow because we had the cold after, so it's frozen, and anybody knows that's what right. that's like in boots. You break through. Snowshoes, you don't break through. Uh, a lot more comfortable walking. That's right. It just makes it so much easier to walk through uh, the six inches of, of snow that we have, and we rent these snowshoes every day that we're open. Uh, so Tuesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Folks can take them out and, and enjoy the winter wonderland on their own. But then if uh, folks have their own snowshoes, they are welcome to bring them to the Montezuma Audubon Center and enjoy the winter wonderland on their own seven days a week from sunrise to sunset. And also the technology's changed so much over the years. When I was a kid, most snowshoes were still wood with rawhide, and they were mm. big and kind of bulky. Now they're lighter weight materials, uh, much easier to maneuver around in. So if you haven't done it ever or in a long time, uh, nothing to fear. That's right. And, and we have uh, snowshoes for children, for uh, smaller adults, larger adults as well. There's something for everyone. Species spotlight on the great horned owl. I, I think I've seen one in my life, and that was in northern New Hampshire at the camp mm. at night coming down the road, and suddenly this thing filled the road with about a 15-foot wingspan. I mean, they're just <laughs> magnificent birds. Probably seen like 15 feet. Yeah, they are a large bird. They're, they're our largest uh, year-round owl species here in the Finger Lakes region. And uh, they have the nickname tiger owl because of their ferocious predatory instincts. They have great eyesight, incredible hearing, uh, powerful talons to grip everything from a smaller mammal to even some, some waterfowl and, and even some some birds. Compact so, car. <laughs> yeah. So, so they are active uh, during the winter months. Uh, 
more likely during uh, the overnight period when we're sleeping, but you may get lucky and hear them hooting right around sunset and then again at sunrise because right now they're getting ready for the breeding season, which isn't too far away. It's only over the next month or so uh, that we have to wait for this breeding activity to occur. Great horned owls and bald eagles nest and breed during this winter period, which is unlike any other bird species we have in the Finger Lakes region. Uh, so if you're out snowshoeing or out late at night, you know, walking the dog, uh, listen for that traditional owl hoot here across the Finger Lakes region. That's probably the great horned owl. Where does something that big go to nest and, and stay out of sight, like you said, mostly in the daytime in their case? They're mostly in swamps and, and upland forested areas. They don't make their own nests. They will utilize other birds' nests. So hawks, American crows, maybe even great blue herons. They all make their own nests, and the great horned owls will utilize those nests. They may even nest in cavities or holes in trees that woodpeckers have made or, or insects have just carved out a, a nice size opening for a great horned owl to nest in there. Uh, their nests are going to be generally 20 to 60 feet up in a tree. Again, a really solid, intact forest habitat. Now, speaking of predator behavior, we're used to seeing the red-tailed hawk up on the uh, telephone or power line. The other day, I saw two crouch down. They were two about, I don't know, five or six feet apart, and they were crouched right down in the snow in a field. Were they possibly feeling for mouse vibrations or, or possibly sharing a meal? Uh, the, yes, we're seeing a pair of red-tailed hawks at Montezuma Audubon Center because they nest right on the property. So while their breeding season doesn't kick in until more like the springtime, they are with their mate right now. They are uh, looking for food, small mammals, metal voles, shrews, field mice, and they're going to be in those agricultural fields or wetland habitats. Uh, so they could have been sharing a meal. Actually, the, sometimes the males will provide food for the female uh, in an offering uh, in preparation for breeding season. We've talked a lot over the years about citizen science. You don't mm -hmm. have to have any special training. You just have to have eyes and ears and observe. And when you multiply that by hundreds of people fanning out across the country, you get pretty good data. Coming up February 18th through 21st is the Great Backyard Bird Count, just an opportunity to see who's up and who's down and which mm. species are doing the best. That's right. And the Great Backyard Bird Count started way back in the late 1990s through a partnership between National Audubon Society and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. This is a way to get a snapshot look at wintering bird populations and distribution just before the spring migration kicks in. Now, back then, it, it wasn't the um, intense and widespread online community science project that it is today, which is really unique and has really opened up the opportunities for birders all over the world to go out into their communities, or in some cases, just look outside their window and see what birds are out there uh, during this late winter time frame. So from February 18th through the 21st, uh, we're welcoming birders from all over the Finger Lakes region and beyond to participate in this free event. Folks can go to birdcount.org for more information, but I'm going to give you the three-step process. It's, it's three simple steps. First step, identify where you'd like to bird during that four-day period. It could be in your backyard. It could be at Montezuma or somewhere else in the Finger Lakes region. 
Step two, find 15 minutes during that time period. You can bird more, certainly, if you want, but really it only takes 15 <coughs> minutes. And then the third is to enter your data into either eBird, you can go to eBird.org to enter the birding data, or you can use the Merlin ID app, which we've talked about before, enter your bird sightings in there. Three simple steps, but a huge, wonderful benefit to birds and conservationists. Are there particular species that we're seeing going in one direction or the other, big population gain or a concerning population drop? A couple species that come to, to my mind first uh, are the bald eagle and the sandhill crane, species that are rebounding, populations are increasing. Uh, with the help of, of humans, we're preserving the habitat. In some cases, like the bald eagle, we brought bald eagles back here to New York, and, and now they're taking off. So those are conservation successes. We still need to do some work, though. In particular, some of our grassland bird species are still in trouble. Grassland habitats here across the Finger Lakes region are few and far between. Uh, the, and when I'm saying grasslands, I'm not referring to uh, fallow fields. I'm talking about managed, uh, high-quality grassland habitats with a variety of native grassland species and native wildflowers. Um, so th it's not shrubland, it's not forest, it's grassland. And these are species like the bobolink, eastern meadowlark, savanna sparrow, and, and a few other sparrows, just to name <coughs> a few. Short-eared owl is another one that is, uh, utilizes those habitats that's on our New York State threatened and endangered species list. So uh, we are seeing successes, uh, and we are still needing to do some work. Uh, in other areas, and this data collected through community science projects like Great Backyard Bird Count help us understand where we're having success and where we still need to, to help birds out. If someone has, for example, a fallow field and they don't have plans for it anymore, is there a program or can you help them in planting the right kind of grasses to turn it into a good bird habitat? National Audubon Society has this great program called Plants for Birds. It's plants for birds uh, on our website, and folks can enter their zip code and find all of the native vegetation that would work well in their community. So you can search for wildflowers, you can search for vines, shrubs, and trees, and then unique situation here where uh, our database will indicate which bird species are going to be benefiting from those native plants. Uh, so folks, of course, can, are always welcome to call us at the Audubon Center, send us an email, or visit us up on Route 89 in Savannah. Happy to talk about what people can do in their backyards to benefit birds. And then, of course, within Audubon, we have uh, foresters and scientists that, that really do a lot of this work for the National Audubon Society and can direct our, our guests throughout the Finger Lakes region to those resources. And again, something uh, a lot of people might not know is how much habitat management you do. You have an army of volunteers in the summer. You pull up invasive species, and, and you it's a constant process. People mm. might think, well, you just let it lie, and, and mm. it becomes habitat, but you really have to actively manage it. Indeed. Everything from invasive species uh, removal to native vegetation plantings, and then the follow-up with birding surveys to make sure that the birds are responding to that management in a way that we are hoping for. Um, so at Montezuma Wetlands Complex, there are 50,000 acres. Just to put that into perspective, that is twice the size of the city of Rochester, New York, 
four times the size of Syracuse. So huge sprawling area. Not all of that is publicly managed land. We do have a lot of private land within the complex and when private landowners reach out to Audubon or our agencies, we are right there to help them manage the properties that benefit birds and other wildlife, but also the people that live there. So, um, you know, if, if people are interested in learning more about managing their property, actually I just had a conversation over the weekend with a gentleman who has a, a small forested uh, habitat and he would like some assistance with us. So I'll be reaching out to him and probably engage our Audubon Forester as well. Event coming up on February 2nd. It is Black History Month, of course, so it's celebrating black environmentalists. And there's a picture here of uh, veterinary microbiologist Dr. Jesse Isabel Price with Cornell uh, and assigned the Cornell University Duck Research Laboratory. You think of Cornell in terms of food research, yeah. but uh, I didn't know that they even had a duck laboratory. Yep, duck lab. Uh, there's a, a pheasant farm uh, down in that area as well. It's now operated by New York State <coughs> Department of Environmental Conservation. But taking a look at history, uh, in American history, the black community and people of color have been disproportionately impacted by uh, environmental degradation, uh, pollution, toxic soil, climate change. And so we're taking a unique look at our, our, our black environmental heroes and their organizations over the last uh, couple hundred years, highlighting those individuals with this unique virtual program on Wednesday, February 2nd at 7 p.m. Now there is a, a registration process and we are welcoming folks to go to our website, montezuma.audubon.org. They can click on programs and events and see this program uh, and the registration process there, but then also um, many other virtual programs and in-person activities that we have coming up. When we talk to you, it's mostly in your capacity with the Montezuma Audubon Center, but you're also uh, an important part of the Onondaga Lake Conservation Corps, and you've got mm -hmm. an Onondaga Lake birding excursion. That's a, a pretty good waterway as well. A great conservation success story there, and we want to highlight our conservation work, the 90 acres of wetlands and shoreline that have been restored at this important bird area right in downtown Syracuse. Because of all that work and the cleanup efforts that have gone on for well over 20 years, you can find dozens of bald eagles. In some cases, some years, like in 2019, we had over 100 bald eagles found along the shoreline on the ice and circling overhead at Onondaga Lake. Something you may think of in Alaska, <laughs> but in central New York and here in the Finger Lakes region, boy, 20 years ago, people would have never thought that conservation could have worked at this scale. It has. So we're welcoming uh, Dr. Michael Berger, who is our Audubon, Connecticut, and New York Executive Director, to help us co-lead this half-mile walk along the Onondaga Creek Walk. It's a flat paved trail. Now, it may, might be snow-covered at that point, so we are welcoming folks to wear some type of uh, good walking boots or snow boots to help uh, with that walk. Well, we're going to be highlighting our conservation successes and the habitat restoration work identifying some of the two dozen waterfowl species that overwinter on Onondaga Lake, as well as looking for dozens and maybe even a hundred bald eagles right there along the shoreline of Onondaga Lake. So um, there are opportunities for guided experiences like this, um, but then people can go to the publicly accessible areas right down there by Destiny USA in downtown Syracuse and see all these birds for themselves. 
What was the key to that turnaround? Because like you said, there was a time when probably anyone would have laughed at the idea that Onondaga Lake could be saved. Mm -hmm. Was there a a key point at which the tide turned and you started winning the battle? Well, Honeywell um, began to clean up the lake, remove the toxic pollutants that that have been dumped right in the lake and along the shoreline there for hundreds of years back. Uh, So that process started way back about 20 years ago. And uh, each and every year, Honeywell was removing more and more of that toxic pollution. And finally, just a few years ago, all of the toxic pollutants, the, the worst of the toxic pollutants had been removed and then a clean cap had been put over the rest of the land to prevent any of the remaining uh, pollution from getting up into the water or uh, seeping up into wetlands. That is then when Audubon got involved and we started to mobilize hundreds of volunteers every year helping to replant these areas with native vegetation. It's like rolling out the red carpet. If you build it, they will come and the birds have come back to Onondaga Lake. We know that the lake is so much cleaner and healthier now because of all these waterfowl and bald eagles and a variety of other birds. Some are on the threatened and endangered species list in New York uh, that are now at Onondaga Lake. So a true conservation success story, Audubon is proud to have been uh, a part of that process. Coming up on Saturday, February 5th at 1 o'clock, bird-friendly chocolate. Now, this is not feeding Hershey Kisses to birds. (laughs) It's talking about how the chocolate's produced. Chocolate and coffee are a couple of products that weren't really observing very good environmental practices, and with consumer pressure over the years, now they're beginning to. That's right. And on Saturday, February 5th at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we're taking another uh, look at cacao Uh, production and how it can be done sustainably for the benefits of birds as well as the cacao and and chocolate producers. So this is a Zoom presentation. When folks register for this event, they'll get a confirmation email and uh, that Zoom link. Uh, I've had the great fortune to visit the Dominican Republic. This was about six or seven years ago. And um, the process was to organize community members in the rural communities of the Dominican Republic and help them to uh, organize birding surveys as well like the Christmas bird count and great backyard bird count but also drive ecotourism and help them lead guided tours in these cacao plantations. Now cacao plantations that I visited and helped the community with they were not clear-cut and just cacao and and coffee was grown there. No, this was cacao and coffee plants in native vegetation. So it was much very much like a shade grown um, coffee and cacao production area. So we were able to provide the vital habitat that many of our warblers and vireos, Baltimore Orioles and hummingbirds need uh, during this fall and winter time frame when they're down there in the tropics in South America. Uh, but but we're, we're also um, benefiting the community and helping them grow this, this product uh, safely. So we're going to take a unique look at all of that. Plus, when people register, we're going to give them a few uh, sustainably grown chocolate, chocolate brands that they can purchase on their own and join us virtually for a tasting of this chocolate. 
That's a fascinating topic. I had a guest on the radio a few years back that went into a lot of those topics concerning chocolate production. And like you said, not only is it better for the environment, but they're working with the producers to make sure they get their share of the money and, and it it helps the economy in that area become sustainable as well. That's right. And and long term, the habitat is just better managed. It's it's so it's good for the birds or the wildlife that are there, but the people in that community that rely on that habitat for for recreation, for the economy of that area, uh, just a, a win 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 for everybody. One more thing, it wasn't on your list, but I see it on the website, and it's one of my favorites. Saturday, February 19th, walking in a winter winery land, one of your <laughs> partnerships, in this case, Buttonwood Grove. Yeah, we're looking forward to getting to some in-person programming here uh, with Buttonwood Grove Winery, and uh, this is a unique opportunity to explore the winter wonderland on the beautiful grounds at Buttonwood Grove Winery down in Romulus. They've got hundreds of acres. They've got a gorge, forested habitats, of course the vineyard there as well. We're going to provide snowshoeing opportunities for folks to join us for a one-hour snowshoe excursion right there on the property. After that, we're going to enjoy wine and food pairings from Buttonwood Grove Winery and our great friends there. And then to wrap it all up, we're bringing in Dana Ford from Braddock Bay Raptor Research, one of our great friends in Rochester. She's going to bring in several birds of prey for a live bird of prey program just for our program participants there. Now, to keep everybody safe, we're doing this entirely outside. There will be some space heaters there to keep people warm. Um, but I think with all the, the snowshoeing activity, people are going to be uh, warming up through that. The wine and the food is a great way to stay warm. And then your hearts are going to be warmed when you see all these, these hawks and the falcons that Dana Forge bringing in. So a uh, great event coming up on February 19th. All right, that's at Buttonwood Grove. I know there are also partnerships with Montezuma Winery and, and always more new ones in the works. Uh, Chris, thanks. Always fun to talk birding with you. Can't wait to uh, try some snowshoes and uh, get the kayak out in a couple more months. I look forward to that, Ted. Thank you. All right, thanks for being with us as always. You've been listening to Inside the FLX from FingerLakes1.com. I'm Ted Baker. Paul Russo has been our producer. I believe we are back on track for a, a debrief with uh, Josh Durso and company uh, tomorrow morning at about 9.30. Lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, more high school basketball tonight. We have Minders at Red Jacket, 7.30 here on FingerLakes1.com. Lots to do, so uh, thanks for watching.